Um, hi everyone. Um, I don't have a PowerPoint today, but my message. Boo. <laughs> no, don't boo me. <laughs> um, my message is on pursuing holiness. Pursuing holiness. Now, some of you might realise that I'm not from. Um, this part of the country. So 14 years ago, I moved up to Manchester. And um, you see, I grew up in Bristol. And sometimes my accent gives me away a little bit. And I remember growing up, and Bristol's quite a distinctive part of the country. And um, I remember growing up, my granddad was very Bristolian, and he would take me to watch Somerset play cricket in Taunton. And I remember we'd be in the car, and he'd have a dog, and his dog's name was called Scrumpy, which is a very West Country sort of a drink. And, um, and we'd be going with my granddad with Scrumpy, and we'd be driving through the countryside. And as we'd be driving through the countryside, um, my granddad would put on some very West Country music uh, by a band called the Wurzels, and he'd put his straw hat on, and he'd wind down the windows. And as he'd wound down the windows, you'd smell the manure from the surrounding fields. And he'd turn to me and he'd say, oh, Kev, smell that fresh country air. <laughs> and, um, you know, <laughs> and often when I talk, people, it's not long before people start to ask, they usually ask, you're not from round here, are you? Um, my father-in-law, uh, Joe's dad, he finds my accent really funny. And often we'll be sat at his house, we'll be having a meal together, and he'll find it really amusing to lean back in his seat and break out into, I've got a brand new combine harvester. <laughs> and, um, but you know, it's, it's not long before people often say, notice and they say, you're not from round these parts, are you? You know, in exactly the same way, when people look at us, that we are not any old people, that we are not people who are from round these parts, that we are, the Bible says that we are foreigners, that we are strangers, that we are aliens just passing through this land, that we are God's holy people. Does that make you feel good? That, that you're not just any old one, you're God's holy people. You're not from around here. And, and when people meet us, they're supposed to meet Jesus. You know, like, like when they see the way that we respond to situations, that, that when they see how full of the love of God we are, when they see our attitudes, when they see how generous we are with our time or our words or our finances, when they see how we love our wives or our husbands or the way we bring up our children or, or the way that we conduct ourselves in the workplace and everyone's moaning and complaining and it's a negative environment, but, but you, you're just shining with the light of Jesus. And people look at all those things and they say, what is it with you? You're not from round here, are you? You know, John 17, 16, Jesus said of us, they are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Did you know that like the definition of a foreigner, you know, we, we talk about, um, there's a lot of talk about Brexit at the moment and what are the rights of British people in, in European countries and what are the rights of European people in, in, in Britain? But, you, you know, a lot of talk about, about foreigners. Well, well did you, what's the definition of a foreigner? A foreigner 
It's, it's someone who has been born in a different place. Did you know where you've been born? You've been born again in heaven. We've been born again in heaven. We're from the country of heaven. We're not from these parts. Um, and that is the very thing that defines us more than anything else. We are a heavenly people. We are God's people temporarily passing through this world. You see, right from the very beginning, God has always wanted to have a holy people set apart for himself. He began by choosing Abraham and he said, Abraham, I want you to be different from everyone else. And the sign of you being different to everyone else would be that you and all of your family would be circumcised. And, and, and that was a sign to everyone in the world and to Abraham and his family that Abraham wasn't like everyone else. He was different. He was God's special people. And you know, that was a picture of what happened to us when we got baptized. That we were circumcised in our heart. That God took out our old heart and he placed within us a new heart. A new heart that wanted to follow him, that desired him, that we are God's holy people. And, and then, you know, after Abraham, God gives us the law. And, and all throughout the law, you know, does anyone ever get stuck in the middle of Leviticus or Deuteronomy? Or, or is it just me? And you're reading all these laws and you just think, well, like, what is this all about? It's all about a loving God who wants a relationship with his people. Um, but the only way a holy God can have a relationship with his people is at the time he gives the law. Um, in Deuteronomy 14.2, it says, For you are a people, talking to the Israelites, holy to the Lord. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. God says, I don't want you to be like everyone else because you're my people. Um, and then, you know, after the law, God chooses the nation of Israel. And he says, I don't want you to be like all the rest of the nations because the rest of the nations are evil. The rest of the nations don't know me. But you, Israel, you're my nation in this world. And then, and then it's all building up to when Jesus comes. And, and one of the names for Jesus is he is the Holy One of Israel. And just turn with me to Hebrews 10.10. 10. This is really exciting, this, guys. Hebrews 10.10 10 says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Do you understand, guys, what the law couldn't accomplish, what our best works couldn't accomplish, um, what, what, what God couldn't accomplish in the Old Testament and never intended to accomplish in the Old Testament, um, where we fell short at every hurdle, um, what the sacrifices of blood and, and blood of bulls and goats couldn't accomplish, the sacrifice of Jesus accomplished once for all that now, not through your works, not through anything we could do or not do, we stand here 
holy to the Lord because of the work of Jesus. God has made us holy, guys. Um, You know, Paul, when he writes the epistles, at the beginning of nearly every single one, he writes this, he says, to God's holy people. It's almost like he's making a point. This is the starting place when your walk with God. You need to know that, that the starting place is God marks you. Do you know when we were worshiping today, I, I just saw God moving in this place and he's stamping us with his mark. He's marking you. Maybe you might not be able to see it. You might not be able to feel it, but on your forehead, you've got a mark this morning. It says, holy unto the Lord, treasured possession, belonging to God, holy people. But, but I haven't been living that this week, <laughs> but I've fallen short this week. Um, it's got nothing to do with what you've done um, or haven't done. It's got everything to do with what Jesus has accomplished. We are his holy people. But you see, what God begins what God intends for us to, how God intends for us to start the Christian life, he also intends for us to walk in it every single day of our lives. And so that's where, um, that, that's why he calls us to a life of pursuing holiness. You see, we're used to pursuing things as a church community. Um, we're told in 1 Corinthians 14.1 to pursue spiritual gifts, um, particularly prophecy. Uh, we saw that today. Um, and we love that. We love to pursue prophetic words. We love to pursue um, spiritual gifts when we meet together. Um, God spoke to us some time ago, didn't he? Years ago about being a multi-community church. You know, having communities of of God's people planted all around Greater Manchester. And so what have we done as God's people? We've pursued that. Um, We've pursued that with multi-site church, planting, you know, two, three new sites in the last year or two. Um, Net-breaking, boat-sinking fruitfulness. God speaks and we pursue it. Um, God spoke to us about being a center of healing. And so, you know, in all of our meetings, it was great today to see people coming up um, and there'd be a chance to be healed because God's called us to be a center of healing. So what do we do? We pursue it with all that we have. And in the same way, we are holy, but God's called us to pursue holiness. Um, And as we run after that, we find that we begin to become who we really are. Um, you know, <clears throat> Lucy, uh, we had a, a, difficult, um, a difficult time, of, of, <laughs> I say a difficult time, a few years ago, Lucy um, got chosen, she had a class teddy, and she got chosen to uh, take the class teddy home with her for the weekend. Um, so she was really chuffed about it. And everything was going swimmingly well throughout the weekend. We took photographs and everything so she could show the class, um, the experiences that the class teddy had. Um, we went to put her to bed on Sunday night. And as we tucked her in, everything was fine until Lucy said, where's Teddy? In that moment, Everything changed. I look at Joe. Joe looks at me with a slight panic uh, on her face. We thought, oh no, we have lost Teddy. 
And we searched the house high and low, couldn't find her. Joe sends me to uh, the Methodist church building that we meet in. I'm searching head and, you know, I'm searching this entire building. No Teddy anywhere. I come back home and I'm distraught. I look at Joe and I'm like, Joe, we're going to be the family that like has destroyed our daughter's life. Like Lucy is forever going to be known as as the person who lost the class's Teddy. Like our firstborn daughter is going to be mentally scarred. Um, What are we going to do? And then, uh, so I came back home and the kids were all asleep. Um, Lucy was distraught. Me and Joe were distraught. I thought I need to keep searching because I was going to, I was pursuing, you see guys. I was, I needed to find this Teddy. I, I thought I'll search her bedroom again. I open up the doll's house and in her doll's house, neatly tucked away under a blanket was Teddy. But do you understand, like, I love my daughter. I love Lucy. She's my firstborn daughter and I love her with everything that I have. And, and I understand that, that this Teddy was really, really important to Lucy. Um, and because it was important to Lucy, it became really important to me. Did you know that holiness is something that is really, really, really important to God. Like, it's who God is. Like, like we know that God is loving and he's kind and he's gentle and he's gracious. But he's also awesome. And he's also holy. And we, like, he can't help, he can't change. It's, it's who he is. And, it, and it's a reason that we love him for. And holiness is such a big deal to God. And because we're lovers of God, and because we love him so much, um, we want to pursue holiness. You see, in Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So I've, I've got here just, just four, four key things that I think will just help us, um, help to equip us in pursuing a life of holiness. Um, do you want to know what they are? Okay, so number one is resolve, commit, make a decision um, to live a holy life. You know, it's, it's so easy. Um, it's so easy to find ourselves going through the motions of the Christian life. Um, you know, I, I can so easily just drift into coming along to all the church meetings on a Sunday. Um, we can get involved in, in maybe in a serving team. We might even be, be part of a connect group. Um, and we can end up doing all the right things. And that's fantastic. Um, but sooner or later, we all, have to make, we all have to make a decision as to... Am I going to resolve to pursue holiness? Like, because if I resolve to pursue holiness in every part of my life, it's going to be really inconvenient. Like, I can't just go through the motions. I can't just go through life and say, well, you know, whatever comes, comes. And no, actually, there comes a point where we as God's people have to resolve in our hearts that, that, I'm going to live a holy life for Jesus. Um, like, like Daniel. In Daniel 1.8, it says that, that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. 
And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. You see, guys, there's a resolve. There's a proactive decision to not go along with the crowds, to live a radical life for Jesus. We heard earlier on today um, about God encouraging us to turn up the temperature. Um, Do you know, guys, it's time to turn up the temperature. Will you resolve? Will you make a proactive decision? Say, Jesus, I'm going to pursue a holy life. See, guys, it's not the path of least resistance. It's not the most convenient path, nor is it the one that brings most comfort. In actual fact, if you're going to make a resolve to live a holy life, there is one thing that the Bible guarantees will come along your way. Do you want to know what it is? Um, 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't don't like to name and claim that too often. (laughs) But you understand there's a battle involved. That, that, that's where the conflict is. It's, will I resolve to live a holy life for Jesus? Um, don't put it off. Let me encourage you. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't put it off till next week or next month. Don't put it off until you've had that job offer. Don't put it off until you've dealt with those things that are on your mind for this week. Don't put it off until, you know, whatever's happened with your family. Don't put it off until certain things have happened. You have an opportunity right now to resolve. Why don't you just hear the Holy Spirit's here and the Holy Spirit's here to equip us and strengthen us and help us. Will you resolve? Will you resolve to live a set apart, holy life for Jesus? Will you resolve? So number one, resolve, commit to live a holy life for Jesus. Number two, come to the one who makes you holy. (laughs) Come to the one who makes you holy. You see, Jesus, um, he's the one that everything he touches, you know, it might be unclean, it might be dirty, it might be impure, but when Jesus touches it, it becomes holy. Like, you know, lepers who were, were so sick in their bodies and they were considered unclean in the law of God and Jesus, when he touches a leper, what happens? Everything he touches becomes whole and holy. Did you know that everywhere, you know, everywhere he walks becomes a holy place? You could go to the darkest place in the world, but as you walk there with Jesus living inside of you, that place becomes a holy place. You know, Moses met with God at the burning bush, and then what did God say to him? God said to him, Take your sandals off, for where you are walking is holy ground. When did it become holy ground? Was it like, you know, a holy temple, sanctified ground? I believe it became holy ground when Moses began to meet God. You know, as you begin to meet God, wherever you go, that very place becomes a holy place. And so come to the one who makes you holy. 
don't know about you, but when I'm doing really well in my walk with God, I want to come to the one who makes me holy. I'm like, yeah, God, I'm up for it. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's just me and you, Jesus. I can read my Bible and God speaks to me and it's fantastic. But when I'm not having a good week, like when I've messed up, when I've fallen short, when I'm not feeling too good about myself, I can sometimes get a little bit intimidated by my mess. And when I look at my mess, when I look at the mess of my heart or, or that bad attitude or, or, or something bad I've done, it causes me to want to shy away. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I was feeling really rubbish about, uh, about some stuff. And, and I was worshipping. And as I was worshipping, I saw a picture. And, and as I saw this picture, I was, I was stood there and I was wearing dirty clothes. Um, maybe some of you can relate. Maybe, I don't know, you're just feeling a, a little bit bad about stuff. And, and maybe you're feeling like you're wearing some dirty clothes. Maybe, you know, you're, you're, you're wearing clothes. I was wearing clothes that were all a bit ripped, a bit dirty. And I thought I'd let God down. And, 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 and as I was standing there, I saw this. But as I looked up, I saw the Holy One. I saw the one who makes me holy. And, and as I saw him, I was worshipping, I just saw this picture. As I saw him, I saw him reach out to me. And as he reached out to me, everything began to change. Because he reached out to me and he touched me. And as he touched me in this picture, as he touched me, all my clothes began to turn red. It began to turn scarlet red. And I realized, I realized that my filthy clothes, my dirty clothes, my bad attitudes, the number of things that I'd let God down on, um, I realized that as Jesus touches me, his blood covers me and his blood forgives me and his blood restores me and makes me whole. And, and, and I, began to, I began to just be amazed. And, and, then, and then I realized God said to me, you're not holy because of anything you've done, Kev. You're holy because when I touch you, you become holy. Did you know that Jesus' blood covers everything? Um, that's, what the Holy One of, uh, the, that's what the Holy One of Israel does. 1 John 1 verse 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Did you know that God is not intimidated by your mess? Um, me and Joe, we moved to a house about seven years ago. And um, I remember we, we first looked at it and it was our dream house. Um, it wasn't much to look at. Um, it still isn't that much to look at, to be honest. But, but for some reason, me and Joe saw something in it. It was quite a big house, but it needed everything doing to it. Um, and I remember when we first went into that house, and we would look around. And, and as we looked around, do you know, we saw past all the stuff that needed to be doing on it. We saw past the drafty windows and the damp patches over the chimney and the 1960s gas fires and the bright pink carpet. Um, we saw past, you know, all these things in the house because we saw something. 
Do you know Richard talked a year, a year or two ago, he used to talk a lot about learning to squint. Do you know me and Joe, we've learned to squint. We've learned to see past the mess. Um, and when we, when we looked at our home, we actually, we saw past that and we saw our family home. We saw the place where we could bring up our children and serve God together. Where we saw the place where we could make memories and, and put our family meal table there and, and to see the kids running round. Um, a place where we could share the highs and the lows of life. Um, do you know, when God sees us, he sees past all of the mess. You know, he sees past all the stuff that we see and, and he sees who we really are. And, and he sees who we really are and he seeks to remind us who we really are. You're my people. You're my treasured possession. Uh, you belong to me. And then in this process, you know, the number of times I've thought to myself, this is taking longer than I thought. Um, I thought we'd have the whole house done up in two years. Um, Joe's looking at me, yeah, right, Kev, um, if you got on with stuff. Um, but, you know, you know, we're now seven years in and we've maybe done about 50% of the work. But, you know, something I've learned is, is that our house, I'm learning to live um, in the mess. I'm learning to live knowing that I'm living in, in a transition, that there is a work in progress, that the, the house is being done up bit by bit. Um, it's a little bit slower than I would like. But this is taking longer than I thought. I wonder if God ever thinks that. But you know, do you know, I don't think he does because God's a God. Like, like Jesus came and, and the first century Christians lived with a, with a constant expectation that Jesus was going to come back again, you know, in their generation, as is right for us to believe. But, but here we are 2,000 years later and Jesus still hasn't come back. But he is coming back. He is coming back and he will put all things right and he will claim us as his holy people and we will dwell with him and live with him forever and ever. Um, it's a sure thing. But you know, it's taken longer than I thought. It's taken longer than I thought. But Jesus, maybe you look at areas in your life and you think to yourself, it's taken longer than I thought. It's taken longer than I thought. But Jesus reaffirms this morning and he says, I'm working in you. I'm working in you. I'm working in you. You're my holy people. Um, do you know Michelangelo uh, in Rome, one of his greatest masterpieces was something called the Pieta. And um, it's a picture of Mary and, and um, uh, holding Jesus when he's a baby. And do you know, they say, how did you, uh, it's people say that Michelangelo used to say, you know, how did you do that, Michelangelo? How did you make it? And he said, it's easy. I start with a block of marble and I look at it and I think, what's inside of that? And then I start chipping away at all the things that don't belong on it. Did you know that's what God's like with us? He starts, as we come to the one who makes us holy, he chips off all those things that doesn't belong on us. Number three, um, draw near to him. Do you know, in the Old Testament, um, you couldn't draw near to God. Only a select group of people for a certain amount of times could draw near to God. But people had to, come, had to stay at a distance because they'd be killed in the presence of a holy God. 
But through the blood of Jesus, we can draw near to God. And you know, it's in the place of closeness and it's in the place of intimacy that we're transformed on the inside out. You see, I'm not talking about obeying a set of rules. I'm talking about having a relationship. Because having a relationship with someone and allowing someone into your heart, um, it challenges you. It involves change. It involves transformation. Um, you know, I'm not talking about meeting God like, like you know, when we worship. But, but if, we, um, if we want to experience God more and more and more on a day-by-day hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute process. Um, You know, when we experience more and more intimacy, when we experience more and more closeness with him, that's what God wants. And it's as we do that, as we draw near, that we find he makes us more and more holy. You see, there is no shortcut to intimacy. Um, Me and Joe, we'd only known each other three months when I proposed to her. Um, I knew that I wanted to marry her, and, and, and we'd, been only, we'd only known each other for less than a year when we got married. And then I remember we got married, and we moved in with each other, and as we lived with each other, we suddenly realised we don't actually know each other, like, hardly at all. <laughs> and, and we would argue and disagree over everything. Um, now, 10 years on, we celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary um, last year. Now, 10 years on, we know each other, you know, I think quite a bit better now. But you understand, you can't just, like, I sometimes like, you know, like on a computer, you just press an instant download um, and you just know everything. No, actually, you can't bypass intimacy. Um, It's a process and it takes time. Um, There's no instant fixes, but we're made holy through intimacy with the one who makes us holy. And then the last thing is God gives us a tool that that I believe will really, really help us in this walk. Do you want to know what that tool is? The tool is a clean conscience. You see, how God works is he doesn't like look at us and just say, Kev, you are a mess. You need to sort this out. You've got a bad temper. You're grumpy with your kids. You don't have much discipline. You haven't spent time with me in the last week. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> God's not like that. This is what God does. God looks at us and he says, I'm just going to highlight this area in your life right now. Or actually, I'm going to highlight this area in your life right now. One or two, one, two, three things at a time. Um, But what he does is when God highlights something in our life, um, it's really, really important that we deal with it and that we respond to whatever it is that God's highlighting. It's called keeping a clean conscience. Um, You know, I remember when I first moved to Manchester and I really, really wanted to be married. And I remember um, I started going out with someone who wasn't Joe and because I hadn't met Joe at that time. And I remember, um, you know, when you really want something to happen and so uh, you convince yourself being a man, a woman of faith and of the spirit um, and radical for Jesus, you convince yourself that this is what God must want me to do. And so I started going out with this girl 
And then I remember reading the Bible, and after about a week in, I read um, a scripture, God speak to me, I was seeking God about it, convinced what God was going to say was what I wanted him to say, and um, we're really good at that, aren't we? And then I remember I, I read a scripture that said about Jesus, his time had not yet come. And I remember the Holy Spirit said to me, Kevin, this is not yet your time. This is not right. I want you to, to it, this is not the right relationship for you. So again, being the radical man of the spirit that I was, I closed the Bible. I thought everything was fine until I heard that. So I'm just going to pretend that I didn't hear that. Opened it again, read the next chapter, the same verse. And it jumps out to me again. It's not yet your time, Kevin. You understand, I tried to, like everything was fine in my life until God had highlighted that to me. And I tried to go back to how my life was before he spoke that, but I couldn't because now I didn't have a clean conscience. And that's what it's like, guys, that, that when God highlights something to us, we can't go on living the same way as we did before, we, um, before he spoke to us. Um, so he gives us a clean conscience. And I've discovered something, guys. You know, when God raises something in your life, when he prompts you or nudges you to deal with something, he's always right and we're always wrong. And it's so much easier just to have a soft heart and to respond to him. So, guys, we are God's holy people. Um, let's resolve to live holy lives. Let's come and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming to the one who makes us holy. Let's draw near to him and let's maintain clear consciences. We are God's holy people. Amen. Amen.